Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in this series, we've seen the establishment of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the beginning of his earthly ministry. We've studied his teaching as he has taught through parables, sermons, and daily life with his disciples. And we've seen his miraculous power over nature, sin, sickness, and spiritual darkness. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We'd love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead, open up the Hope Church LV app or visit us at hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Good morning, Hope Church. Go ahead and have a seat. And as you do, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Want these open on your lap there physically or maybe on your app if you have our Hope Church mobile app, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Every week we gather, we want to have our faces in the Word of God. We want to be reading the words that we're going to be studying here in just a few moments. Mark chapter 8. As we begin, I want you to think back to when you were in school. And I want you to think about your favorite teacher, the greatest teacher you ever had. By the way, shout out to all the educators that call Hope Church home. We have a lot of teachers here. Praise God for all you teachers. My sister Kelly is a teacher in Dallas. So Kelly, if you're watching, she watches online sometimes. Shout out to Kelly, my sister. She's a great teacher. But who is that for you? Who is your favorite teacher, the greatest teacher? Maybe for you it's a coach. Somebody you had as you look back on when you were under their tutelage. It's like, man, they were the greatest teacher. For me, it was my freshman and sophomore year out in Henderson. You guys know I grew up here, went to basic high school. And my, uh, my freshman and sophomore art teacher... I took art because I thought I was just going to be an easy class to take for an easy credit. And I had a teacher named Mr. Drum. And Mr. Drum was one of the first people in my life to kind of call out some, some creativity in my life. He saw in me what, what people hadn't seen, some creative, creative stuff. And so he kind of called that out. And the thing I give Mr. Drum most credit for is he's the one that introduced me to the glory that is Apple computers, ladies and gentlemen. First time I ever used an Apple, and I've never turned back since. Thank you, Mr. Drum. But I don't know who that is for you. I don't know the name that's coming to your mind right now, but I want you to think about what made them such a great teacher. What's the characteristic that, that's coming to your mind right now as you think about that teacher or that coach? Maybe you would say it was the time that they invested in you. That's a great characteristic. They just took time to invest into your life. Or maybe it's the characteristic of kindness that, that you just saw that they felt, that you, you felt loved and seen by this teacher. There was just kindness. Or, or maybe it's just that they just flat knew what they were teaching. There was just a knowledge that you just appreciated, which made them the greatest teacher you ever had. I don't know what the characteristic is for you as you think about the greatest teacher. But as I thought about all of those characteristics, I actually think there's one word that really captures the essence of all of those. And that's that a great teacher is intentional. A great teacher is intentional. They never waste an opportunity. They never waste a moment. They never miss a, a spot to say something or to teach something. They're very, very intentional. And if you're joining us and you're new to Hope Church, you just got to know we've been studying now verse by verse through the biographical account for a year and a half of the greatest teacher ever 
to ever live. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has the biographical account of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are in one of those, the Gospel of Mark. And we've been studying it now for a year and a half, and we've seen all throughout this story this idea of him being intentional. I want to highlight that because we're going to see it a lot today. But this is a biblical reality from what we see in the Scriptures. Everything Jesus does is intentional. As you study his life, as you even think about what he's doing now in this moment, everything Jesus does is intentional. We've seen this as we've now journeyed eight chapters through, seeing the way he walks with his followers. They're called disciples. He's always teaching them very intentionally what is true through teaching moments, through meals, through journeys to different locations. And he's being intentional every step of the way. And slowly but surely, very slowly but surely, the disciples are starting to catch it. Maybe you can relate as you've been following Jesus for some length of time now. Slowly but surely, you're starting to get it. And yet at the same time, there's so much we don't get. There's so much the disciples miss these 12 guys that have been following Jesus, sometimes they still don't see clearly, even though they've seen Jesus heal people instantly. They've seen Jesus feed thousands of people miraculously. They've seen him do things nobody else can do, speak with an authority nobody else can speak with. All these things are true over the disciples' lives with Jesus, and yet our text last week ended with Jesus asking this simple question, do you not yet understand I don't know about you, but as we've studied and journeyed through Mark, I find myself so much like the disciples sometimes. I see things that he does, but I don't see it all. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. You're, you're, you're seeing some things in your life and you're going, I don't really understand what God's doing here. I know you're real, God. I follow you, but I don't get it. If you've ever found yourself there or you find yourself here this morning, I hope today's text encourages you because he's always doing something, church, because everything Jesus does is intentional. So join me in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start reading in verse 22. I want your eyes on the words. We're going to read all the way down to verse 30 as we study this text today. Here's the word of the Lord. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, you read that correctly, we will talk about it. What's up with that? Spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they are like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Verse 27, and Jesus went up with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. 
We're gonna study this passage together verse by verse. I love how it starts. Jesus is in another village and constantly when he comes to villages, people are bringing people to Jesus that he might touch them. If you've been following along in the gospel of Mark, you know this is a very hallmark way Jesus heals people. And by the way, he doesn't have to touch people. He is the God of heaven come down in human form. He could have just spoke a word, any situation, and they would be healed. In fact, this is the same God who spoke all that we know into existence. He breathed stars and galaxies and all that we see with a word. And yet he chooses by his grace and intentionality to heal people through touching them. This is significant for us because the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they, they would have nothing to do with touching these unclean people. They would run from people like this. They would say, don't you dare touch them. And yet that's exactly where we find Jesus, always grabbing hands, always touching lepers, always intentionally showing his loving kindness through touch. Matthew or Mark chapter seven, just last, last chapter, he, he stuck his fingers in a man's ears who was deaf. It's like to show the man, I see the thing that's hurting you. Touched his tongue with his hand to, to show the man, I know you can't use this properly, but I'm gonna touch the very thing that is ailing you. And now this man, he, he doesn't just tell him, hey, follow me out of the village. The text says he grabs this man's hand and leads him out of the village. What is this? This is our God being intentional. Everything he does is intentional. And before we jump into some content that I have, I just wanna encourage you, if you're here today and you feel like you've been outcast, if you feel like you're untouchable, if you feel maybe like this man or the blind man or the, or, or the deaf man or the leper or any other person that was an outcast in the society of Jesus, you just gotta know Jesus never runs from people like you. He always runs to people like you. And some of you just came to church to hear that Jesus isn't running from you today, no matter how unlovable or untouchable you feel. He always runs to people like you. He meets us where we are. And we're gonna continue this study by looking at two realities. Two realities here in this story that we can learn from. The first one, Jesus' work in the blind man's life was a work in progress. Jesus' work in the blind man's life was a work in progress. Pick it up again. We'll read it. Verse 23. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Now this is actually the second time Jesus is healed in a way that we can just go ahead and say it is strange. Like some of you are super grossed out right now. Like, honestly, this is a little disrespectful. Jesus spit on this man's eyes? What are we reading? And to us, in 2023, this does sound very, very strange. That's why context is key. If you look at first century, saliva was actually looked at as a, a way to help with wounds, a sanitary way to help with wounds. So actually, as gross as it may be for us, this is another way Jesus is being very intentional. But that's actually, for me, not the strangest thing that happens in this passage, believe it or not. It's the way Jesus heals him. Look at it if you have it in verse 23. Jesus spits on his eyes, touches him, and the man opens his eyes, and he says, do you see anything? And he says, yes, but I see people 
unclearly and they look like trees walking. And then Jesus touches them a second time and then he can see clearly. Jesus, don't miss this, partially heals this man and then heals him fully. You say, what's up with that? Like, is this, did Jesus forget to charge his healing hands? Like what is happening in this story? And that's a great question to ask because this is the only story that we have of Jesus's life where he partially heals anybody. Every other time when Jesus says it, it's done. When Jesus touches it, it's over. But right here, Jesus seems to intentionally heal partially. And this is where I hope you lean in because I can't wait to tell you why I think this is. We obviously don't know for sure, but I believe this, what we just read, is a physical example. Don't miss this of what is actually true of our lives spiritually. I mean, think about it. The disciples are with him when they do this because he is their rabbi. The disciples are with him all the time. So when he leads this man by the hand outside of the village, the 12 disciples go right with him and they're watching all this go down. And I think that is very intentional. Why? Because everything Jesus does is intentional. He didn't make a mistake in this moment. He didn't have enough, he did not have enough mojo to get this man healed. He's doing everything on purpose. And I believe it's because Jesus, the master teacher, is showing with this man's eyes what is happening in real time with the disciples' hearts. Slowly but surely, he is progressively revealing himself to the disciples. Clearer and clearer, they're able to see. A man named Jerry Vines, a Bible commentator, said it this way. He did not deliver him from his blindness at once, but by degrees. He might have done it in a moment, but he chose to do it step by step. I believe that's what he's been doing with the disciples. As we follow the, the story of Jesus, we know the disciples have now been following him for about two years. And I believe he has slowly but surely been opening their eyes to the point where they see who he really is, which we're gonna read about and study later because everything Jesus does is intentional. Don't, don't forget that just a few verses ago, he asked them the question, do you not yet understand? And then he immediately goes to this miracle where he is showing them with a physical healing what is happening in their hearts spiritually, opening their eyes to truly understand, which leads to our second reality. Jesus's work in the disciples' lives was a work in progress. Jesus' work in the disciples' lives is a work in progress. Keep continuing, verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Seth, villages of Caesarea Philippi. So for two years now, this is happening over and over again. They pop into a village. Jesus does some amazing things. He heals some people. He feeds some people. And then they move on to another village. Here, they're heading about 25 miles from where this blind man was healed to an area called Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles away. And let me just remind you, in the first century, they didn't just jump in Jesus' Tesla and take a 10-minute drive to Caesarea Philippi. They walked. It was a journey. And all throughout these journeys with Jesus, he's intentionally using those times to show more and more to the disciples who he is. And on the way to Caesarea Philippi, he has a very significant conversation with the disciples. Look at it in verse 27, the latter half. And on the way, on the way where? On the way to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
And they told him John the Baptist and others Elijah and others one of the prophets. Layman's terms, Jesus is walking with his disciples on the way to Caesarea Philippi and he says, hey guys, what's the word on the street? What are people saying? How are you hearing that people are talking about what it is we're doing here? And when he asked them this, you just gotta know, Jesus wasn't actually looking for the answer. He already knew the answer. He's not fishing for compliments here. He's not trying to pad his insecurity. When God in the flesh asks a question, spoiler alert, he already knows the answer. So why is he asking? I believe he's asking because he's actually leading the disciples somewhere significant. When Jesus asks this question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, it's because he's leading the disciples where we're about to see them go in just a moment. I thought about in my own life, there's a question I get asked two times a year. Every six months, I get asked this question. And every time I dread being asked this question, and it's the question you probably get asked as well about every six months, and it's when I'm sitting in the chair at my dentist office. <laughs> Shout out to you if you're a dentist. I hate going to your office. And every time I'm at the dentist's office, every six months, I get asked the same question that I know the lady that's been cleaning my teeth for 10 years, her name is Brandy, shout out to Brandy. She's gonna ask me the same question and I dread her asking me that question every time. Here it is. How's the flossing going, Scott? <laughs> and I'm just gonna out myself to my church family right now. It's not going well. <laughs> Even if after every dentist appointment, I think I gotta get better at that. I'm gonna get better at that. I'm gonna start the habit. It slowly trickles off like probably so many of you. You don't have to admit it, don't worry. But here's the thing. She asks me that question when she is actively flossing my teeth. And here's what's happening, TMI, my gums are bleeding, okay? So when Brandy asks me, how's the flossing going? She already knows the answer because my gums would not be bleeding. She is asking me the question, not because she doesn't know the answer. Why? Because she's leading me somewhere. Hey, Scott, you need to floss more. This is what Brandy's doing, and I believe this is what Jesus is doing. He's asking not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he's trying to get them somewhere. Who do people say that I am? And let's be honest, the, the people's opinions are not bad. John the Baptist, if you didn't know, there's another point in the story of the Gospels where Jesus says there has not been a, a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist, meaning he's the greatest person that's ever lived. Literally, the actual goat is John the Baptist or Elijah, the incredible prophet of the Old Testament, or let's just lump in all the prophets. These are incredible ways to describe Jesus. They may have been nice, but they were not right. He is none of those. Each of these things is positive and affirming, but never do they go so far as to actually say who he really is. And isn't that true of our culture today still? Who is Jesus? People might give him a nod as a great moral teacher or applaud some of the things that they've heard about him doing, but all of those at the end of the day fall woefully short unless you say he is exactly who he says he is. Just like the people of that day, the people of this day are the same. Jesus is this and Jesus is that, but unless they say he is Lord, it's not who he claimed to be. He's using this moment to intentionally teach the disciples, intentionally lead them to, I believe, the most pivotal question in all of the Bible, and I believe the most significant question every person in this room and everybody watching online could ever be asked and answered. Look at it in verse 
29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus says, thanks for letting me know what the people are saying, but let me put it on the front porch for you. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. I love Peter. If you follow the New Testament, Peter's the kind of guy that speaks first and thinks later. <laughs> follow him. He's the guy that's always saying something, jumping in, and, and he actually jumps in with truth right here. But I believe he stands up and speaks as a representative of all the disciples where he says, you are the Christ. And that might not fall on us the way it needs to because in 21st century America, we think Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. That is not the case. And Peter and his boys would have understood this. See, these are good Jewish boys who grew up all of their lives hearing about this Messiah. That's what the word Christ means, by the way. It means anointed one or, or Messiah. And so when he declares this in this moment, he is doing so with behind him thousands of years of prophecies and bedtime stories from the old prophets and the, the, the Jewish patriarchs. One day, God will send a savior. One day, God is going to send someone, a Messiah, to redeem and restore all that's been broken. And in this moment, on the way, on a dirt road to Caesarea Philippi, thousands of years of promises come to a head. And Peter looks at this carpenter and says, you're him. You are the one that thousands and thousands of years people have been looking forward to. You are him. Peter, in four words, you are the Christ. In four words, professes a fulfillment of thousands of years of longing. Church, we cannot overstate how massive this profession is. You're finally here. Mark doesn't tell us how Jesus responds, but the gospel of Matthew does. He, he shows us how Jesus responded in this moment. He just said, you are the Christ. And Jesus answered him, Mark, Matthew 16, 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that's Peter's name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's saying, yes, yes, Peter, but I know you're a smart fisherman and all, but you just didn't think of that on your own. Somebody gave that to you. Somebody opened your eyes. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. My Father in heaven has revealed. They say, how did the Father in heaven reveal that? I believe it's for two years now. He's followed this carpenter around. He's seen the things he's seen. What's been happening with every miracle and every feeding and every conversation and every campside, campfire chat. What has been happening is that Peter's eyes with the rest of the disciples have been slowly but surely opened in a work of progress to make him say in this moment, you're him. My eyes are open to see. I quoted Jerry Vines earlier. I wanna repurpose that quote for what's happening here with the disciples. He did not cure their spiritual blindness at once but by degrees. He might have done it in a moment, but he chose to do it step by step. And listen, church, our God does not change. And so if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you just gotta know flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. 
It doesn't matter how much you went to school, how much you've read your Bible, unless there's a sovereign God working behind the scenes, it doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to, YouTube videos you do, podcasts and and books you read all about God, unless there's a sovereign God behind the scenes opening your eyes, you cannot see what you are blind to. Another way to say it is, you can't come to God unless God first comes to you. And here's the reality. Why we get so passionate about the gospel here is because we're not waiting for God to come to us. He already has. That's why we're so passionate here about reminding you. If you, if you know Jesus, this is true and you've accepted this. But if you don't know Jesus, you just got to hear and know today that you have sin in your life that is separating you from a holy God. And our God saw that. And so in a sovereign, kind, intentional way, he was going to do whatever he had to do to get his kids back. So he sensed Jesus comes into the world, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for the sin of the world, rises again three days later to give us access now to the God who's intentionally at work, drawing you to himself to where you would have your eyes open to the abundant life of his kingdom that he's inviting you into. And you just need to know, if you don't know Jesus today, I was on that front row as we were worshiping this whole service, and here's what I'm praying over and over and over again. God, open the eyes of the blind today. Because you didn't just do it then, you do it right now. You did it at the 6.30 service on Thursday. You did it at the 8.30 service on Sunday. And I'm asking you to do it again at 10.30, Lord. Because you open the eyes of the blind. And flesh and blood, what we're doing up here, what I'm doing up here, our worship, none of that can reveal this to you. The Father can. And sometimes he uses human means to do it. And I'm praying he's doing that right in this moment. Because this is so much more than just a, a blind man being healed or a bold profession of faith by a fisherman in the first century. That's how I want to end our time. I want us to see very clearly Jesus' work in our lives is a work in progress. Jesus' work in our lives is a work of progress. If you are a follower of Jesus, the story of the blind man is your story spiritually. And I just want to revisit that because it's good for us to remind ourselves us. And if you don't know Jesus, it's good for you to hear this can happen for you today. Say, well, what do you mean? Let's look at the blind man's story again. As we see his healing physically and what has happened to us spiritually, if we're followers of Christ, is there's three phases that we see in this healing. The first phase is blindness. He understood he was blind. If you don't know Jesus today, the reality is you are spiritually blind If you're a follower of Jesus, you once were blind, but now you see, praise God. That's why we sing the old song, Amazing Grace, so passionately. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. There was a time where Jesus allowed you to see who he is clearly. And you said yes to a relationship with Jesus. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, church. The father who was in heaven loved you so much, he gave you sight. Second Corinthians chapter four, speaking of people that haven't seen yet. In their case, the God of this world, the Bible calls him the enemy or Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What a heartbreaking statement. There are people maybe in this room who right now cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And we've been praying that today would be the day that he touches your eyes spiritually and you see. 
blindness. But there's a second phase that we see here in this story. Partial sight. Partial sight. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, in one sense, a very real and, 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 and important sense, positionally, your eyes have been fully opened. You're not partway saved. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've repented of your sin and given your heart to Jesus, you are saved and saved and saved. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. What's finished? Your justification, Jesus follower. Your redemption, in one sense, you'll never be more holy than you are right now. And I know you don't feel holy, but positionally you are. But in another very, very real sense, the one you and I feel every day, practically, God's working some of that junk out in our lives every single day. Amen? Practically, we've been given partial sight. I don't know about you, but... I need to be reminded of that sometimes. That when God saved us, he didn't just radically and, and miraculously make all of our sin go away, right? Uh, right? Am I the only one? Uh-oh. When God saved you, did he just miraculously erase all of your sin? You never struggle anymore? Oh, praise God, I'm not alone up here, okay? Can I just be honest and out myself? There are days that go by, weeks that go by, sometimes months that go by. I look back and think, wow, I am a hot mess. Anybody else? But here's the good news, and you never need to forget this and remind yourself of this constantly, church. You may be a hot mess, but by the sovereign love of the Father applied by the blood of Jesus on the cross and given as a seal of your redemption by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, you may be a hot mess, but you're his hot mess. You're his hot mess. And he's literally put the Spirit of God in you who is constantly, intentionally, and relentlessly at work in your life, working out practically what is already true of you positionally. And that will happen every single moment of your day until you get home in glory one day. Every day he's at work in you. Just like the man in Mark 8, you might see certain things, but other things look like trees walking. <laughs> They're not clear. Why? Because there's still work to be done. And he'll do that work every single day until you meet him face to face in glory. If you ever need encouragement, look at the disciples. They're a hot mess too. I'll, I'll prove it to you. We'll see it in a few weeks. But right after this epic moment, this is so funny. Peter looks at, at Jesus and says, you're the Christ. It's this epic moment. Just a few verses later, we'll get there in a few weeks. Jesus says something he doesn't like, and the Bible says he rebukes Jesus. How about that? You are the Christ. A few verses later, don't say that, Jesus. What is this? This is Peter not seeing clearly. Just like we don't see clearly. And just like physically, we see babies that grow up to be toddlers, that grow up to be kids, that grow up to be teenagers, that grow up to be adults. There's a maturation that happens. And in God's sovereignty, he seems to do the same thing spiritually with his kids. And it's through a sometimes brutal, but always beautiful process called sanctification. That's a big word, but you got to know it because it is a sometimes brutal. And some of you are right in the middle of the brutal, but it's always beautiful process where the spirit of God in his kindness and grace and intentionality is transforming you little by little into the very image of Jesus 
till one day we see him face to face. I love how 2 Corinthians 3 says it. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. If you're a Christian, that's your story. You've had your faith. It's been unveiled. There is no veil. Are being transformed. That's currently happening. Into the same image, the image of Jesus. From one degree of glory to another. I don't know about you, but I wish there were some days that it says, like a light switch just flips on and it's done. But God in his sovereignty seems to be more interested in what he's doing in you in the process than he is in the final product. One degree by one degree by one degree. What is this? It is slow. And some of you right now are in the middle of the slow, but trust, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've trusted him with your life and said yes to a relationship with him, as messy and slow as it might be, he's making you into something. I love how John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said it. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. Amen. Some of you need to put that on a sticky note somewhere and every once in a while say, amen, John, I feel that. I feel that. Say, okay, how does it happen? So we round third here. How does this happen? How does this this transformation happen? Well, I think one of the things we do is we look to the disciples and ask the question, how did it happen for them? And what we see in the disciples' lives is they were much with Jesus. In fact, as they studied under their rabbi Jesus, they were constantly with Jesus, intentionally, daily, constantly with Jesus. And then yet they still didn't understand fully. How can we expect to understand what we barely spend time with? I'll put it to you in a statement. How can we expect to really understand what we rarely spend time with? And some of you right there need to underline it, put an exclamation point by it, and at some point, either today or later this week, bring it before the Lord and say, help me change, Lord. Because flesh and blood's not gonna reveal that to me, but the Spirit of God will, and I wanna change, Lord. I wanna do what it is that, I want you to do what you're planning and for knowledge you, you've given me to do in my life, which is transform one degree by one degree by one degree. Now, some of you would say, well, wait a minute. Let's talk about the disciples for a minute. They literally had Jesus next to them at all times. How, how easy would that be? I mean, think about it. You wake up tomorrow morning, your alarm goes off, you open your eyes, and Jesus is right there by your bedside. Hey, let's get up and go to work. I made you a cup of coffee. You're saying, dude, that'd be, that would actually be pretty awesome. And I think this following Jesus thing would be easier if I had God next to me all the time. Do you know what the Bible actually bluntly disagrees with you? In fact, Jesus disagrees with you. You say, I don't know if I'm tracking. You're gonna have to put some Bible on that. Gladly, John chapter 16, this is Jesus talking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Get this, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus has said, it's better that I leave. Why? Because if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, that's the Holy Spirit of God, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Listen, Jesus follower, good news. You don't have God beside you. That's better 
That's not better because you don't have God beside you, but by the Holy Spirit, you have God inside you. And Jesus said that is ultimately better. So every day when you wake up, guess what? God is with you. Every time you go get a cup of coffee and get ready for work, God is with you. And every single moment, he is constantly and intentionally and relentlessly transforming you one degree by one degree by one degree into the image of Jesus. This is God's heart for you. So how do you tap into that? The same way the disciples did. You spend time with him. At Hope, we call it God time. We call it abiding in Christ. For us, that looks like talking to him in a relationship through prayer. That means getting your face in the word of God daily to see the things he has for you. This is how we grow. But we can't transform ourselves. I'll say it this way. Spending time with God is what we do. You can do that. Today, tomorrow, you can spend time with God. That's what we do so that God can do what we can't do, which is transform us. So we do what we can do, which is spend time with God. Get our face in the book. Pray to him every morning on the way to work, however it looks for you. We can do that. And in that, we do, he does what we can't do, which is transform, which is change, which is one degree by one degree by one degree. Listen, I said it once and I'll say it a thousand times in this church as long as I have passion and air and breath in my lungs and I have the privilege of being the pastor of this church. Sanctification is a process. There is no fast pass to spiritual formation. But man, I wish there was. <laughs> Where's the switch, Lord? <laughs> Where's the app I can download? Again, it seems that God and his sovereignty is more interested in the process than he is the final product. And one degree by one degree by one degree over the course of 10 years will make you unrecognizable from the person you are today. You go one degree by one degree, you come talk to me in 2033, you're gonna be a different person, not because of what you did, but because of what he did inside of you. But church, the opposite is also true. You let 10, 15, 20 years go by and you look back and there's been zero transformation in your life. Hear my heart. You need to ask the question, is the spirit of God really in me? If I look back 20 years and there's been no affection for Jesus in my heart that's been raised, there's been no desire to do the things he's asked me to do, there's been no transformation in 20 years, you might still be blind, Hope Church, and may need today to come to him for sight, to have your eyes open. Because you may be in church, you may have all the Bible studies, you may know all the things, but if there's been no transformation in your life for years and years and decades and decades, today I implore you, come have your eyes open for the first time. Come see Jesus for who he is. Because when he saves you, he puts his spirit in you, and you are transformed. Listen, it's slow, but it's sure. It's messy, but there is movement slowly but surely through your life being transformed. There is fruit being born. And if not, we have to ask ourselves the hard question, why? I love how J.C. Ryle said it. He said very simply, genuine sanctification is a thing that can be seen. There was a tree outside of my house that season over season over season never produced fruit, just sat there dead. I would say of that tree, that's a dead tree. 
we look over our lives, as slow and messy as it may be, and there's zero work of transformation in any way, shape, or form, hear this as a grace from the Lord today. Maybe the Father is revealing to you your blindness. The follower of Jesus who has stumbled forward by his grace, be encouraged. There is coming a day that we will not see with partial sight any longer, but we will get to home one day and have perfect sight. That's the last stage. That's why Jesus heals this man first partially, but then he puts his hands on his eyes again and he sees completely clear. One day we will have perfect sight. It's one of my favorite things about going to funerals of, of seasoned saints who have lived long, hard lives for the glory of God. As we celebrate one day, that they took their last breath here and they opened their eyes in heaven and saw face to face what we now just know in part. They were home. No more struggle, no more sin, no more cancer, no more issues that we deal with, no more sanctification. It's done. You're home. And one day that is coming for every follower of Jesus and I long for that day. But in the meantime, he's at work constantly, intentionally, and relentlessly making us who we are not right now by his grace. Everything Jesus does is intentional in the story of the blind man. Everything Jesus does is intentional in the story of the disciples. And everything Jesus does is intentional in the story of every person here. So here's what we learned. Here's our sermon in a sentence. Jesus will use every situation, every circumstance, and every moment of your life to show you who he is and to make you more like him. Every single moment. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? There's not a moment that goes by in your life where God's taking a nap. He's constantly, actively involved. Listen, even if you don't know him today, I believe he's still working on your life. For me, I, I went to church when I was 17, 16. For the first time, I, I saw this. <laughs> I was kind of like, what's happening here? For nine months, I sat in church services just like this, hearing so many good things, hearing the gospel, hearing what I've shared today. And for nine months, I just sat there and processed until it led me to a camp where I came one Summer, in the summer of 2003, and I said yes to a relationship with Jesus. In that moment, he opened my eyes to see. You know, when I look back at those nine months, what were those nine months? Here the, here's what they were. For those nine months, and really my entire life up to those nine months, Jesus was taking me by the hand and leading me to the very place he would open my eyes. And I'm just telling you, I believe there's some people here, doesn't matter how many decades you've followed, you've lived this life without knowing Jesus, no matter how many church services you've sat in, if you don't know Jesus, I believe he has been taking your hand to maybe this moment where he brings you to a place where you can have your sight restored. If you don't know what that looks like, the fact is Jesus loves you so much, he came to this earth to die on the cross for your sin. He rose again three days later to give you life. And in just a moment, we're gonna be up here. We're gonna respond to what he's been doing in this service. And if you know how to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, would you just come down here and have a conversation just like happened at 6.30 on Thursday and 8.30 on Sunday. Listen, you're not coming down here to some pastors that can open your eyes. We just wanna tell you about the one who can. 
And today he's ready and willing and he's done everything necessary. There's nothing you have to do to have your sight restored. There's nothing you can do. That's the good news of the gospel. He's done everything. And today I believe he's gonna give some people some sight. But for the rest of us, followers of Jesus, where in his goodness and grace has God revealed to you some areas of your life where he desires to grow you in and maybe you've been resistant. Maybe you've been stiff-arming him. Maybe you just wanna take these next few moments as we sing and respond to just, just turn those over to God. Agree with God to say, Lord, you know the area you've highlighted. Help me walk in that. And by your spirit, you wanna make me what I'm not right now. And that's good news. So however the Lord wants to lead in this moment, we wanna trust him and ask him to do it. God, thank you right now for every person who you've already saved and opened their eyes. And Lord, as we wrestle with that partial sight on this side of heaven, pray for whatever you need to do in our hearts in this moment to, to help us take a step by your grace. But I pray for those right now who are blind. First step in realizing we need to see is realizing that we're blind. I pray for people right now, Lord, as they realize their blindness. Like the lady at 6.30 who said to me very clearly, I am blind. God, would you open up some eyes right now in this moment? Would you open up some hearts to the truth of your gospel and your glory? And would people be ushered into the kingdom today as we sing about your glorious grace? We love you, Lord. Do what you want in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.